Welcome to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio, bringing you insights and strategies to help you create a magnificent and fulfilling second half of life. Here's your host, certified professional retirement coach and best-selling author, Dr. Dorian Mincer. I want to welcome everybody today to my fourth Tuesday, Revolutionize Your Retirement interviews with experts to help you create a help you create an exciting second half of life. Um, I'm Dory Mincer, owner of Revolutionized Retirement, and I'm delighted to have you with, with us. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Jill, Julie and then get our call started because I think there's a lot of kind of wonderful material ahead for us. Julie Schiffman is an inspirational, award-winning speaker, author, and business owner. She believes in every woman's ability to challenge herself and to grow as Julie herself has continued to do. And I do want to add that although her work has been predominantly, and you'll hear a lot of the focus is on women, her approach and her work is really applicable for everybody. Just keep that in mind because I know we have men on the call also. Julie started her career as a professional ballet dancer and then became a highly successful lawyer in New York City and in Cincinnati before founding her company, which she calls Act 3, and she founded it in 2008. She recently received the prestigious Athena Award from Cincy Magazine and was named a woman to watch by the Cincinnati Inquirer and was named as a 2013 Woman of Distinction by the Girl Scouts. Through the story of her own personal transformations from ballerina to law partner to stay-at-home mom to business owner, and through the stories of the remarkable women she has interviewed, she energizes women to live their best lives. As you'll see, she speaks with passion, humor, and heart as she encourages you to imagine what's next and then to take one small step at a time to do it. And as a lawyer who made partner in her mega law firm while pregnant with her fourth child, she also can speak with very true authority about the issues women face in advancing their careers. As I mentioned, she's founder and president of Act 3, which is an organization that helps women define their next stage of life and to create their own personal action plan for living out that life. And she's also a certified coach. The book that she's written is called Act 3, Create the Life You Want After Your First Career and Full-Time Motherhood. And she's also created a documentary film featuring many of the incredible women profiled in her book. I want to just mention one other part to it, that the way I met Julie was actually through a friend of hers. A year ago at Christmas time, my family and and her friend Robin's family were Robin. in Panama. Uh-huh. Hello, everybody. I'm surprised we have any time left after that incredibly lengthy introduction that Dory gave me. I think what she was about to talk about, how she and I met, was the importance of networking. She was on Christmas vacation a year ago, and a friend of mine was also at the same place. They were in Panama and met, and Dory was describing what she did, and my friend said, oh, my gosh, you should meet my friend Julie. Dory, are you back on? I am, but uh, finish, yeah. Okay, and so there, you can take it back over, and then we'll start. And here we are. I don't know what happened. It's just the way life is. I suddenly got 
cut off from the call, but I'm back. But yeah, so that's how we met, and it's just it's wonderful. So Julie, let me ask you. I know I've mentioned a little bit in the introduction about how you got interested in this. I think your personal story and how that led you to start Act Three is just such a wonderful story. So I wonder if you. Maybe we'd start with that and just tell us a little about your own life and how that led to what you're doing now. Sure. Like many good business ideas, my idea to start the company Act 3 came out of my own personal experience. I had been a lawyer for many years, was a partner in a big law firm, and was hitting my early 40s which I've learned since is a bit young for starting these kind of stirring thinkings, what am I going to do next? And I just knew I'd been a lawyer by then 15 years, and I just didn't want to keep doing it. But I had really no idea of how to figure out what I could do next or what my real skills and talents were. I hadn't done any exploration. And I ended up just jumping, leaving law, And then through trial and error, tried so many different things because I really didn't have anyone to help me sort this question out. And then coincidentally, at the same time, many of my friends, so now we're fast forward eight years from when I left law because I was trying all these different things, were all starting to empty nest. And they had been staying home with their children. And I knew these were really smart women, highly educated, had interesting careers, but then had been home 10, 15, 20 years at this point, and they were all going, gosh, what are we going to do next? So I started thinking there had to be a better way to figure this out than what I had done, which was bounce around. I'd started a family business consulting company. I'd become a nonprofit consultant. I was an executive director of a nonprofit. There has to be a better way. And I started doing research and discovered that, in fact, millions of boomer women were going to be empty nesting over the next 10 years. I knew they'd been highly educated and were smart women and we're all going to be gone. What are we going to do next? So I figured there's got to be a business here. And I started my company, which I then named Act 3, in 2008. So that's my journey that led me through exploration into i got to start this company that will help women figure these issues out, and they can do it a lot better than how I ended up bouncing around trying to figure out what I would do. It's such a wonderful story because I think it's it, it really lets people know that sometimes if you just open up and think about what would help me, there may be a creative mm-hmm. business idea in that. And so you're really a role model, I think, for all of us. And again, I want to, because I know there's people of different ages on the the call that the empty nest is one part in time that mm-hmm. helps people start thinking about what's next. But I, what I found in my work is there's something that just happens in midlife, regardless of what you've been doing. But I think definitely for women who've been full-time moms, but there's just that shift that begins to happen saying, what about me? What do I really want to do now? Because so often we end up having all these other needs take precedence. I just think you're a wonderful role model in what you do. I know in your book, I've I've read the book, and I really encourage everybody to uh, read it. And at the end of the call, Julie will tell people how to access it. But you you ask people to start with a visualization and can talk a little about what that is. And that'll, that'll, I think, help us start understanding a little of your approach and how you help people 
begin to figure sure, out so what's I, next. I, when I was thinking about writing the book, at that point, we'd been in business for four years, and my coaches and I had developed a process, not necessarily unique. I'm sure, Dory, you do probably a lot of the same kinds of exercises with your clients. So we decided we would I would write the book following our process, and each chapter would take you along this journey of starting where most of our clients start, which is I have absolutely no idea what I would like to do next. Occasionally, we'll get people that will come to us that will say, I was an accountant many years ago, but I've been out of work for a long time, but I want to go back and do something in the financial field. Far more often, we'll have somebody come to us who says, I used to sell copiers, and they don't even sell those kind of copiers anymore, and I've been home 15 years, or they've been in the workforce, and they just, like me, as a lawyer, go, I absolutely don't want to do that anymore, but I just don't know what I want to do. So we started this process, you you said this visualization, this first chapter Mm -hmm. of the book starts with the... Open your mind to possibilities because far too readily either our own inner voice shoots an idea down or we verbalize it to somebody else, a spouse, a friend, and they go, you can't do that. And then as quick as that, a really good idea is gone. So the whole first chapter is encouraging this process of just open your mind to anything Reality can come in far later if it's really not going to work, but if you don't at least start with the broadest sense of possibilities, you can miss some really good ideas. And I use one example in the book. I had one client who really was fascinated to with wine, the drinking of wine, the studying of grapes, and she thought, no, I think I'd really like to be a sommelier. She mentions it to her husband. And he very quickly says to her, oh, you can't do that. The hours are awful. You'd have to work at night. That's never going to work for us. And so that idea was just gone. And then this is probably three years later when she started working with us. She'd been working with us a little while. and, And then all of a sudden she just floated this idea out. And that was where I said, okay, we're in this exploring possibility stage. Yeah, let's talk about it. Now, reality may come in later that, this isn't going to work for you, but let's talk about it now. And so she did research on it, and she went and um, followed a sommelier around to see what is their job like. She ended up not becoming a sommelier because the reality is the hours are awful, but she was able to take the knowledge from that and her love and passion of wine and use it in a different way. She ended up developing wine classes. So had we not started with the explore all the possibilities, that wine idea probably never would have bubbled up any other way. So that's where this visualization of anything that is remotely interesting, you've got to start from there and then narrow it down. That's, I think, so important for people to keep in mind. And I think it's a strategy that it's like opening yourself to possibilities. And as Elizabeth, one of the listeners on our call from Minneapolis said that as she's listening already, she realizes that this is so applicable to everybody, whether you're single, whether you're in a relationship, man, woman, it doesn't matter, that just opening to possibilities. And I know another term that you use, Julie, that I also really, and I'd love you to tell people about is this notion about dreaming big. It goes in with the visualization, but can you expand 
a little bit more on that? Yeah. Again, it's this concept of starting to look at your life in a different way. So if you really could dream really big, what sort of ideas would come to you? And I suggest several different exercises in this first chapter, this Dreaming Big, Explore Possibilities chapter of ways to do that. Because some people say to me, I just don't even know how to do that. You say dream big, but what does that mean? And I'll just throw out some different exercises that people can think about doing. For example, I like the idea of actually interviewing other people about what they love about what they do. So now this is not a job interview. This isn't even an informational interview. Who are the interesting people that you've met or you know of? You just ask them, can I come and find out why do you love what you do? And would you give me 15 or 20 minutes? Most people will say yes to that because most people actually like to talk about themselves. And then take notes and find out what is it that person loved about what they do and see, does it resonate in any way? Is there any piece of what they're doing that could be interesting to me? A second exercise, I describe this as if you knew you were going to a bit, this is more for the women out there, you're going to go to a big gala event and you're going to need a new dress. Suddenly in your mind, when you know you're going to need a new dress, you start noticing all the dresses out there. You start noticing the dresses your friends wear or you're shopping and you're walking down the street downtown and you're looking in windows at dresses, or you look at magazines and you're thinking, oh, I like that dress. The same thing when you're looking for ideas, keep your mind open. Now your brain knows I'm looking for things, and so keep a pad of paper with you, or if you like to take notes on your phone, and as you're going through your day, be conscious of looking for ideas that come to you of things that just might be interesting, and make sure you jot them down. Then at the end of the month, whether you've done the exercise where you're interviewing people, whether it's looking for ideas, perhaps even I suggest people read the opposite kinds of things that they typically read, whether it's the opposite kind of books, opposite kind of magazines, watching the opposite kind of shows, going to the opposite kind of a lecture you might go to, just to make yourself think a little differently. At the end of a month or two, and this does take some time, Go back and look at all your notes and see which ideas jump out of things that, wow, I'd like to explore this further. And then that takes you into the next chapters of what do you do when you get the ideas of how do you explore it further. Those are great suggestions. And you're so right that once there's an idea in your mind, it's amazing how you look around and and you notice things. Again, it's opening to the possibilities and letting your lens change a little so that you look in different ways or, as you say, read different things. I think those are great suggestions. You also, I know, talk about in your book visualizing your success. And I know success can mean many different things. So I wondered if you could really elaborate on what you mean by that. How would somebody visualize their success? So this gets, we're now, we've jumped forward five chapters, six chapters, and you've narrowed down, you have the idea of what you might like to explore. And Let's take the example of the woman who wants to be the sommelier, and let's pretend actually she decides she wanted to be a sommelier. Then at that point, visualizing what does success look like to her 
as a sommelier, or let's say it isn't a job. Let's say, which many people, they're not looking for a job or career. They're looking for a way to make a difference. And so they've discovered that, for example, they're passionate about foster children. Okay, what does success look like? If that's what you're going to spend your time and energy on, what will success look like to you if your goal is to help foster children or if your goal is to become a sommelier? If you can visualize what success looks like, you know what you're shooting for. And I'll use myself as an example. Back when I was starting the company and my visualization of success, and I describe this, I do a lot of keynote speaking and I so I talk about this publicly. It's a little embarrassing to admit publicly, but my visualization was me sitting on Oprah's couch, having her interview me about the fact that I was able to help all these tens of thousands of women across the country with my book or my speaking. That's my visualization. And I actually put a picture of Oprah and her couch <laughs> on my desk above my phone, and then I could look at it, and I knew, okay, that's what I'm shooting for. That would be success to me. Now, I'm not going to get there. First of all, she didn't have a show, but also that's like way pie-in-the-sky stuff, but it gives me that motivation and encouragement. Again, that's a great idea. It's keeping your eye on whatever the prize is for you or whatever that notion is of success um, that is for you. And you're right. I did jump ahead. I realized that as I was thinking about my questions to ask, I was jumping ahead and now I'm jumping back again (laughs) because there are the steps that really do lead up to it. So hopefully you'll just hang in there with me as we go back and forth. But you talk about this concept too about discovering your gifted passions. And I think that's such a, it's a lovely, and I do want to mention to listeners too, part of what's so beautiful about Julie's book is that in each chapter she gives examples of somebody who illustrates the concept she's talking about. So maybe you can talk about that and also give us an example of that too. Okay, so before I describe the gift and passion part, you're right, Joy, I love to learn and hear about stories of other people that have done things. And because it motivates me, I sought out and interviewed a hundred women who had done something really interesting next in life. And out of those a hundred, I took my favorite 12 stories and put one in each chapter of the book. So that person exemplified what I wanted to flesh out in that chapter. And so it's really fun to read their stories. My goal with that was that anyone who was reading it might say, wow, if she could go start that orphanage in Rwanda, if she could do that huge thing, when she didn't even, this is Ann Heyman, she didn't even know a person in Rwanda when she got the idea. If she could do that huge thing, then I can do this little thing, that it would give you the courage to do that. But yeah, each chapter has stories of, to me, very inspirational people. Um, they really are. And then back yeah. to your question on the gifted passions. You know, discovering your passions, it's just thrown around all over the place. And there's a couple of challenges with that. One is that some people really don't have passions. And then that word just scares them because they think, I'm not really passionate about anything, and so therefore, how will I figure it out? 
passion itself can be a very strong word. And so if you are listening and you're one of those people that I'm just not really passionate, then I give you some exercise in the book just to think about, okay, what is it when you get up in the morning? It puts a smile on your face that you get to do. So maybe it's not as strong as passion. But the second part of that is you can be passionate about something and yet actually not be very good at it. Mm-hmm. And if you're just passionate about it, but you're not good at it, and you can't get good at it, I want to make that clear, because there's a lot of things that you can get good at. You've got the talent. You just don't have the knowledge or the skill yet, but you can learn it. Um, but no matter how hard I love, love, love to sing, no matter how many lessons I could take, there's no way I'd ever become a good singer. That might be a passion, but it's not a gifted passion. And to really be fulfilled in life, I feel that you have to be somewhat gifted at what you're doing. Actually, honestly, scoring your list of all the things that are interesting or that you might be passionate about and scoring them based on, am I already good at this? It's a gift. Or could I get good at this? So I use an example at the book. We, I had one client who was really passionate about the environment. And she, but she didn't really have, and she was really interested in a particular aspect of it that she was describing to me. She called environmental sustainability, which is in, look, she wanted to start a business about making and helping other people have less of a footprint on the earth. So she had a passion, but she didn't have the knowledge or the skill to do that. Yet, she knew she could learn it, and she knew how she could learn it, and we developed a plan. How does she go about and get the knowledge that she could take? So that was a gifted passion because she knew she could learn it, and that's turned into a really nice business for her where she does consulting now. This is five years later on just that issue. So that's where a gifted passion can take you somewhere that just plain being passionate about something can't. That's a helpful thing to think about, and it, it relates also to another question that actually Elizabeth's asking is, are you, did you find a lot or do you find a lot that people really want to make a difference, and what are some of the things that, that you've discovered that people want to do in order to make a difference in terms of finding so that? So with my demographic, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, my demographic of, and again, primarily it's women that we work with, although occasionally we do men. And occasionally we actually work with kids in their 20s where we'll have a client who says, my son is 26 and he's struggling. Would you guys work with him? And we'll do that too. But primarily our demographic is women aged 45 to 65. A lot of those women are not looking for jobs. They're not looking for careers. But they're smart. They're engaged, and ultimately, they're looking to make a difference and to have a fulfilled life. So these aren't the women who are happy playing bridge and golf. And there's lots of those women, and that's great. Those aren't the ones that come to us or read my books or I'm the same with you, Dory. This question of how do I – okay, if I know I somehow want to leave – by making a difference, how do I narrow it down? And what happens with a lot of my clients is they will end up being on the committee to do the centerpieces for the symphony gala because their friend is running the gala. 
and they actually don't even care that much about the symphony, and they've done centerpieces a million times. So they're busy, but it's not all that fulfilling. And so what we do is we take a step back and we say, just if you're getting a job, where are your gifted passions? Let's take foster children. I really care. I actually really care about children. I really care about the fact that foster kids, once they turn 18, they're just out on the streets. That's something that just really bothers me and resonates with me. Okay, there's a passion there. Let's follow that through. What particular gifts could you bring to that? I'm a really good fundraiser, okay? Can you fundraise about that issue? I'm a really good organizer. Okay, can you put together, can you help to organize those kids that are stuck out on, okay, I'm a really good educator. Okay, how can you use your skill of education or educating to be able to educate the population? Is it by writing? Is it by having parlor sessions at your house about the kids that are out on the street? So that's where you figure out your gift marry it to your passion, and even where it's making a difference, you can end up with some really exciting results. Excellent example. What about really trying to understand what your motivation is? Um, Do you find that difficult with people? Mm -hmm. When I first started this work, I had never really paid attention to motivation. Again, you always are hearing follow your passions, but nobody really pays attention to how you singularly are motivated. And we're all motivated by completely different things. I have a chapter in the book about how do you figure out what motivates you? Because then to really have a fulfilled life, you have to meet your motivations with something that is a gifted passion. That's my belief. So determining how you're motivated is critical. And so again, to use myself as as an example, when I thought this through, I realized that I'm actually strongly motivated by recognition. And you may think, that's so shallow. I shouldn't be motivated by that. Why should I be motivated about what other people think of me? But you know what? That's who I am. And if I don't pay attention to that, then ultimately I'm not going to end up fulfilled. But by paying attention to it, I put myself in positions where I'm going to garner that recognition. And that's why I'm out keynote speaking. That's where I get that recognition that obviously I need. So the self-awareness is so key. Somehow that reminds me of the exercise you have too, which I really love, about meeting your I know you like to meet the 80-year-old, and I think now that we're living longer, Mm. uh, I have people meet their 100-year-old. But is that one of the techniques you use to help people get in touch with what's really important to them? To describe to your listeners what that exercise is, I actually use that at the beginning of the process when I'm Mm. meeting people for the first time. I ask them to picture their 80-year-old self and ask themselves the question, as an 80-year-old, if you keep doing exactly what you're doing today and get to 80, will you look back on your life and say, that was the life I wanted, that was the life I'm glad I chose? And if the answer is yes, great. But for many people, and obviously the ones that come to me or might come to you, They say, no, if I keep doing this, I'm going to get to 80 and I'm going to feel like I left something on the table. 
that I didn't make the impact that I wanted or whatever piece is missing for them. And so that helps to motivate them to say, all right, I need now, whether I've got 25 years, 20 years, I actually have worked with a woman who's 75. Now she's still healthy, she's vibrant, and she says I might have five, ten really strong good years, maybe more, who knows. But I want to make sure that whatever time I have left, I'm making the impact that I can, and I really want to focus in on that. Mm. Great. So it's really, but it's that, that being aware of what's that motivator is or what's driving you from inside. But I know that it's often easier said than done. And Marilyn from San Francisco asks a question, and I'm going to just ask it now because I think it relates to much of the process that you talk about. And she says, how do you get past the barriers of being out of work for many years and you don't really want to start your own business? Mm-hmm. What, what would somebody like Marilyn do or people Are, that you can know? Can you ask yeah. her back a question? Can she respond to you? Because what I'm curious to know yeah. is she... You ask her and she'll respond to me. Oh, okay. So ask the so question what I'd like and to know hopefully is, she'll respond. <laughs> okay. Is she looking to get back into the workforce? Okay. That would be the question. Because, so if somebody's been out of work a really long time and they're looking to get back into the workforce, we really have two processes we go through. The first question is, are you doing this because you have to have money now? And some of our clients, the answer is yes, because they're going through a divorce and they have to get back to work or their husband's laid off and they have to get back to work. Or for whatever reason, if you have to have money now, what we do is we put, I have a career coach that works on defining what expectations you can have, and it may not be in an area you're passionate about, and it may not be where you have the strongest motivation. But if you've got to go for money now, you do that, and then you create a long-term plan to move you towards perhaps the other things that might be more interesting to you. On the other hand, we have clients that are lucky enough to be in a position that They don't need to get back. They want to get back to work, but they don't have to do it for money. They have the time then to explore and look for those opportunities where it is something that they're very passionate about. The job market is opening up. We're seeing more movement. And employers, as much as you read about ageism, if you're bringing an updated skill set, and updated is critical, if you don't know how to use Excel, if you aren't completely computer-versant, conversant, then you really shouldn't be going for a job. You need to get those skills, and they're not hard to get. So if you bring an updated skill set, we're finding employers are very interested in women returning to work. And the reason they are is because they know that demographic does not bring drama to the table. Younger employees that are still thinking about who's dating who and all of that, women in their 50s, 60s, you come and you get your job done and you're professional and they know that. So the key is the updated skill set and perhaps you have to go maybe get some schooling or something to be that way. And then we're seeing success that that way. Hmm. Okay, I did get a response so hopefully that from answers Marilyn. your question. Yeah, and she says she's not necessarily looking to get into the job market, but because she does have some savings and support, but she'd like to eventually make some money. Um. So then 
that's a wonderful position to be in. The, I love that word eventually because the key is starting today. <laughs> Instead of waiting until, okay, eventually means I'd like to be making money in four or five years and then I'm just going to play for the next four years and then I have to get back to work. Starting today, if you've got that long of horizon, which is a tremendous luxury, how great, if you start the process of figuring out what you want to do, then once you figure that out, you're going to know, do I need new schooling? Do I need to go get a certification? How do I figure this all out so that by the time you're ready to get back into the workforce, you are completely ready and up to date on your skills? Great. I think that's terrific. And I, who comes to mind when, in your response to Marilyn's question is one of the women that you talk about in your book, Sarah Pollock. I wonder if you mm. could share. I just, I love her story and she's so inspirational because it is an example where it's taken a long while for her to get where she wanted, but hanging I'm, in there. I'm so glad, Dora, you? you mentioned Sarah. So Sarah was my favorite story of all the women I interviewed. Sarah was 102 when I interviewed her, and 101. And she had such an amazing story when she was going, it was the Depression, and she just had a baby. And her husband of very short time, I think they'd been married a year, was killed in a car accident. And she had a six-week-old baby and no money, and she had to go to work. So it was just got to get a job, got to support us. But she always had this dream of becoming a speech pathologist. And that took us up to then in her 40s, she finally, through going to night school, gets her undergraduate degree, but it was speech pathology. You can't do anything with an undergraduate degree. So then she has to get a master's degree. Finally, in her 50s, she starts to be able to actually work as a speech pathologist, but she didn't stop there. She ends up at age 78 getting her PhD in speech pathology, and she was the oldest graduate at the University of Wisconsin ever. And Sarah told me that it was absolutely the highlight of her life when the professors, she was into the professors, and they said, wait outside while we deliberate. And then her faculty advisor came outside and shook her hand and said, congratulations, Dr. Pollock. She was 78. She said it was the highlight of her life. And it's still just when I think about that, and it's so amazing, she just kept marching towards that goal, and she didn't give up. Mm-hmm. And Sarah actually died eight weeks ago. Her son wrote me to tell me, but still such an inspiration. So she died at 104 and lived a healthy, very active and vibrant life. Even when I met her at 101, she was still living on her own, which is incredible. Quite an inspiration. Very much. And just having your eye on what it is that that gifted passion and what motivates you. Shifting a little bit again, there's another term that you have that I really like, which is called launch and learn. Can you share a little of what you mean by that? So many of us, and through studies we've learned this is more women than men, feel that we have to know everything before we'll try it. And in fact, successful people have the confidence that if I just launch, 
meaning I just step out there and do it, I'm going to learn how to do it along the way. The example of the woman in the book that I described for this chapter, Marion Luna Brem, she has the largest women-owned business in Texas. And she says, oh, it's a car business. She sells cars. And back when she started this business, there was not a single woman. This was a very male-dominated field. And she says, if I had waited until I knew everything there was about cars before I started my company, she said, I'd still be trying to figure it out today. She said, you have to be confident that you can learn stuff. And if you're confident that you can learn stuff, there's not a whole lot out there, unless you're trying to be a rocket scientist, that you're not going to be able to pick up and learn. And so you just got to jump sometimes and then learn it along the way. And again, too many of us just get stuck in the fear of, I don't think I'll be successful, so I'm not even going to try. It's a very important concept. It's that taking the risk and believing in yourself that you can learn. And sometimes we have to fake it along the way until we really learn how to do it. (laughs) I love that you said fake it because I don't know if any of your listeners have read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. It's an outstanding book. Ignore anything you've read or heard on the news. It's not a put down to women who stayed home. It's not a put down to women who are in the workforce. It's a very well-researched book. But she talks about this concept of that we all have called, she calls it the imposter syndrome, where you're so afraid that sooner or later somebody's going to figure out that actually you have no idea what you're doing. And we have such a fear of being called an imposter that we won't put ourselves into a position that we're risking. And her advice, just like you just said, Dory, her advice is you fake it. She said, I'm the best actress in the world. She said, when I'm in a situation that I have no idea what I'm doing, I pretend I'm acting a part. And what would an actress do in this situation? She says, then I acted out. And she says, eventually, I know what I'm doing. But anytime you start something new, just fake it. And I love that. Yeah, you're right there, Dory, with Sheryl Sandberg. (laughs) I'm glad to, and she just, I read that she's now, yeah, she's good company and she's up in the billions now, I think she's. um, Oh my gosh, yes. I just just read that the other day. What about the taking the small steps? Because I think that's Mm -hmm. another point that you have. And I know a lot of people who work with people trying to make changes in their life that trying to help it not be so overwhelming. So can you maybe speak to that a little bit too? Okay. Overwhelming is the right word. As humans, we're just hardwired to want to feel comfortable. And if we are in a position where we start to feel uncomfortable, we're going to get out of that situation as quickly as we can. I use this example in my book where think of if you walk into a cocktail party and you don't know anybody that kind of level of anxiety that you have as you look around the room, is anyone going to talk to me? And you're uncomfortable. Very quickly, you get out of there. It's the same thing when you're doing anything new. You're going to feel uncomfortable. And if I, I know I said launch and learn, but if you try to learn too much too fast, you've got to find this balance. You're going to 
quit. You're going to feel overwhelmed. So instead, you just keep taking these tiny, small steps. And how big of a step it is will depend on where your comfort level is. For some people, we break it all the way down into one step is going to be researching something on the web, and the next step will be making a phone call, and the next step will be going to meet somebody, literally step by step. What are all the little steps you need to take? And we'll start with maybe a month, and if that's too overwhelming for somebody, we'll back it down to what are the steps we need for a week. For some people, that's too much, and we'll just say, okay, what do we need to do in the next day or so? Mm-hmm. Another good example, I love the TV show The Biggest Loser, and I remember one episode I was watching where Bob, the trainer, was working with this guy, and this guy was like 500 pounds, and he was just so enormous, and he was overwhelmed, and he said to Bob, I have to lose 300 pounds. I have to lose a whole person. I just want to quit. It's just way too enormous to think about. And Bob gave him such good advice. He said, don't think about that. Don't think about the 300 pounds. Just think about what do you need to do today to get to tomorrow. And I thought that makes sense in your life in general. So that's where this small stepping comes in. Don't Mm -hmm. think about that long term. For me, I said sitting on Oprah's couch. It's great to have it there. But what really works is what do I have to do today to get me one step closer? Because just today, that's not overwhelming. Maybe I need to make a phone call. Maybe I need to write an article. Maybe I need to be interviewed by Dory. So just what you have to do today, and then keep doing that step by step, and you're going to end up being a lot more successful than because you're not nearly as overwhelmed. Such an excellent point. It ties into another comment and question that Elizabeth from Minneapolis has, which is that she's really pleased that you were talking about just the importance of being up on your skill sets. And because everybody, regardless of our age, we all need to be up on on the current skill sets in order to get employed. And she just wondered if you had any other ideas about helping people taking these steps so that they, let's use the computer, for example, say somebody feels like they don't know, would you, that would be something else that you'd mm-hmm. break into these little small steps, I would imagine, but maybe you can elaborate yeah, on so that. One of, one of the wonderful things about today is that there really isn't anything that you can't learn how to do on the internet by taking a class. I had, I met this one woman, I was speaking out in California, and she was at the conference I was speaking at, and she told me she's now, an, I'm not sure if I'm going to say the word right, artisanal cheesemaker. And anyway, she's got her own little cheesemaking, but it's like specialty cheeses. She learned how to do it on the Internet. She watched YouTube videos. <laughs> and she said, I just kept making mozzarella over and over again, <laughs> watching these YouTube videos, and now she's got a business. So whether it's I need to get my computer skills up to date or I need to learn about sustainable and sustainable environment or making cheese, you can learn, find out how to learn it on the Internet or community colleges or there's all kinds of computer classes at community colleges, going to lectures when they're in town on how to do things, different seminars. So 
Today, it's so much easier to learn something for not a lot of money than even five years ago. It's so true. I guess that can't be an excuse anybody has anymore. So that it's you know, not. We can, That's right. We can learn anything. So it's true. Mm-hmm. Just a, a quick insert. There was a question, and I just want to say again, the, the book that um, Linda from Toronto was asking, the name of the book you mentioned, and I just want to say it was Cheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. Um, just for any other right. people, I, I often believe that if somebody asks a question, they're asking it and other people are asking the same question too. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a portfolio career? I know people use that term in different mm-hmm. ways. And can you share a little? Because I know your career's like yeah. a portfolio career. I think mine is too. So, and many people um, are. Yeah. So a portfolio, if you think about a portfolio of, let's say, the assets that you own, you might have stocks, you might have some bonds, you might have your home, it's a piece of real estate, and all of that together creates a nice portfolio allocating among the the risks of different classes of, of assets. It's really, you can create the same thing with your career. 50 years ago, everybody's career was just one thing. Today, it's far more common And as you said, I have a portfolio career where you don't do just one thing. But overall, if you put it all together, it makes up for a fulfilled life. So for me, I run Act 3, but most of the coaching is done by coaches. So I do a little bit of that, but I run the company. I do a huge amount of keynote speaking, so that's a chunk. I have probably 30% of my time I spend in my community work with big community projects, I invest in real estate. So you put that all together, and for me, I have a really interesting portfolio career. Works for me. For other people, portfolio careers may not be so interesting because they may not like the disjointed nature of it. I'm stopping and starting 10 times a day. One minute I'm I'm working, I'm writing an article to promote our business. The next minute I'm um, practicing a speech. Then I'm paying bills on my real estate. So maybe that's too disjointed for some people. For me, it works. Great. It's a great example. And again, I think through your work and your business and your book and your speaking, you, you are a terrific role model. But I know life can be complicated, and I I think that you have such a great example in the book of Diane Rehm, actually, who many people probably are aware of because of her work on NPR. And I wondered, she's a great example of persevering when there are setbacks and overcoming obstacles. Mm -hmm. And, And I wondered if you could speak a little both to that idea, but also maybe share a little about her, what you learned from her in your interviewing. Yep. Diane was the only famous person I put in the book because I really didn't want to use famous people. But Diane had such a great example of somebody who'd been a stay-at-home mom. And her story, actually, I'll just tell quickly. So she's a stay-at-home mom in D.C., never even gone to college. And her kids are in middle school. And she's struggling to try to figure out what she wants to do next. And a friend of hers says, you've always been interested in radio. Why don't you go volunteer at our little local radio station, WAMU. It's down the street from us. And she thought, oh, my God, would they even want me? So she calls, and they say, sure, come volunteer. You can bring us coffee, whatever. The very first day she goes to volunteer, 
the host of the radio program is out sick, and the producer says to her, Diane, the host is out sick. We need you to sit in and be the host. So here she thinks she's just going to be getting coffee. She ends up on the air and loves it. And from there, she stayed as a volunteer for nine months, but they would let her go on the air pretty regularly. And then a job opened up at the radio station, and she was still petrified. But she applied for it, and she got the job. And then eventually it becomes the Diane Reem Show, and now she's actually listened to by millions across the country every week. She's interviewed every president, every movie star. And she had such a compelling Act 3 story that I actually went to D.C. and interviewed her. And But her story of overcoming obstacles this never graduated from college because she came from a very traditional Arab household where women were not allowed to talk. And going to college, well, of course, that was completely out of the question. Eventually, she ends up divorcing the man that she had to marry and leaving that community, which was incredibly difficult. She was the first divorce in that community, so she overcame that obstacle. And then later in life, if anybody's heard her radio program, she has this horrible voice issue. If you're a radio host and you can't talk, she has it's called spasmatic dysphonia, what happens to you. And so her story of what she had to do to overcome the obstacle in order to continue moving ahead is very interesting. Absolutely, and her just sticking to it, and because it's so easy for people to to feel like if something happens, we have to let go of the dream, but to figure out how to make it work for you, which again ties into Elizabeth from Minneapolis. She said that there are two two comments that she makes that I think I, I'd just like to share and get your thoughts on, Julie. She said that she found has found that the acronym FEAR is helpful for her and people she works with, which is false evidence appearing real. So that fear, huh. F-E-A-R, false evidence like appearing that. real. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And then she says mm-hmm. that Dr. Phil has, yeah, I think it's great. And Dr. Phil has mentioned that the key is behaving your way to success one step at a time, which is what you've been talking about, Julie. Yeah, um, and you too, when and, we said fake yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's very motivational to realize that there, you just can't be stopped by the what ifs or the cat catastrophizing. And just, I, I realize we, we're going to be out of time pretty soon. And I want to just talk a little more about your sense. I think oftentimes people um, do turn to coaches, but, but you also talk about the importance of finding a buddy or finding somebody who's going to mm. be the mm-hmm. cheerleader and that you have to be careful who you talk to about your idea because some people can be downers on it. So maybe you could talk a little more right. about that. Okay. I think that's true. Your, your, your best friend may actually subconsciously not want you to succeed in trying something new because maybe that means you're going off and they'll feel less good about themselves because they haven't been able to go off and do new things. Your spouse, when I did the research for the book, I asked, and this survey went to thousands of people, and one of the questions was, what is going to hold you back? And 19% responded that Mm -hmm. their spouse would hold them back because for whatever reason, the spouse wants you around, the spouse will be threatened. Just think it through. So if you're sharing all your ideas with your spouse and you have the kind of spouse who would hold you back, that might not be the best person. But choosing somebody who, yes, can be a cheerleader, but can also hold a mirror up and hold you accountable, especially if you don't need to go back to work for money, 
What ends up happening is motivation wanes and flows. So you get very motivated, and then I'll just go to Florida for the weekend, and the motivation wanes. Having somebody who can say to you, you said you were going to do this, talk to these three people or research this, why didn't you do it? And that's what a good coach does. It's not mean. It's just let's talk about why didn't that happen. So using a buddy as an accountability person can also be valuable. Great. What are some of the other things that hold people back? Maybe I think that may be helpful for people to to think about because I know your survey really pulled forth a number of them, and I, I found that helpful when right. I read it. Self-confidence was number one. That And that's not a surprise, but especially, and remember, my survey went to stay-at-home moms who mm-hmm. were looking for what's coming next in life. If you've been home 10, 15, 20 years, your confidence that you can actually do something valuable is, is somewhat low. And through our coaching, we spent a lot of time talking about, let's talk about what you've been doing those 10, 15. You know, you haven't been just staying at home. And when you really explore all the things they've been doing, they realize they have a lot more skills and talents than they've given themselves credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's self-confidence. And then computer skills was a big answer. Mm-hmm. Women in their 50s and 60s feel very nervous around not doing emails, but other kinds of computer skills. But as you and I have talked about, you can get that. That's not hard to learn. So just finding the way to get those skills. Great. No, I think that's so helpful for people and ties into the question that Marilyn asked earlier, too. I am so delighted that you've been with us today, and I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank everybody who's been on the call. What would be some final thoughts or takeaway that you might want to leave the audience with? You can also get the Kindle version on Amazon and would love to hear from any of you. In final closing, Dory, I would just say I'm so thrilled with what you're doing that you deliver these monthly conversations for people is such a tremendous benefit. So I thank you for doing that and for raising the level of discourse about these interesting issues. Oh, thank you. And I want to thank you, too, for being such a great role model from your own life and sharing your story, but but also just saying again that although Act 3 is written for women who've been stay-at-home moms, I think for everybody who's been hearing, it's so applicable to everybody. As when you say that some of your clients are younger and older and men and right. they can be single women in relationships, it's really just talking about believing in yourself and figuring out a way to live a fulfilling life for pay or not for pay or in some way. And thank you again so much. And thank you everybody for being part of the call. Take care. You've been listening to Revolutionize Your Retirement Radio with Dr. Dorian Mincer. To learn more about the resources mentioned on today's show, listen to past episodes, or download our free retirement transition guide, visit revolutionizeyourretirementradio.com.